0: Trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything.
1: Episode 1. What Happens Now? A Recap of Season 3.
2: Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello,
1: dear ones. Welcome. To the fourth season of Blink of an Eye, where we embark on a fresh chapter of personal trauma healing, resilience, and thriving, with never-been-told chapters of the harrowing and uplifting origin story, trauma healing learnings with amazing experts from around the globe, and the new Dear Louise series with Spinal Cord Injury Heroes. I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey of listening and learning as we delve deeper into our own healing and wider understanding of the power of trauma healing in concert with others. We simultaneously contribute to the well-being of our planet and the broader community.
0: This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.
3: Did you know our podcast sponsor, the 501c3 nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit, And they have a launch campaign to raise funds so they can go bedside with SCI families in crisis. You can donate at www.blinkofaneye.org for the HEAL Team, bringing hope, empowerment, advocacy, and logistical navigation tips, with love, to SCI families in crisis. If you are interested in volunteering, or becoming part of the Blink of an Eye cutting-edge relational approaches to trauma healing, medical navigation, and emotional and spiritual support for SCI families in crisis, fill out an information form at www.blinkofaneye.org. Follow Blink of an Eye on Instagram and Facebook at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit. Links to these platforms will be in the show notes.
1: We're diving in to Season 4 with a recap of Season 3 of the roller coaster blink-of-an-eye origin story, a montage of all 28 episodes. Whether you're new to the series or need a refresher, this recap will prove invaluable for bringing you up to speed on Season 3. Feel free to revisit any episode or to explore the specifics you desire, including revisiting your favorite moments. This special montage for you today includes days 30 through 113 in the journey to survive. You might also want to listen in to the montage recaps of all episodes in the prior seasons one and two as well, beginning with the first moments of day one through the harrowing first 30 days. Of injury and mishap, pain and progress, and interactions that will take your breath away. You'll find past montages if you scroll or search for episode one of each season. When we return next week, we will be in our expanded format. Yes, we will still be providing you rich content every Wednesday for living lives of trauma integration. We will do so in three parts and formats, which we will alternate. The first, the continued story, a look back of one mom's harrowing, raw, and memorable trauma healing journey, written in real time, bedside, unedited, and yes, raw. My story with our son, Archer, that you have been listening to. With illuminating interactions with medical staff, take your breath away, realizations and epiphanies for all of our loyal, narrative origin story followers. The second, the trauma healing learnings for all of our lifelong learner listeners, where I interview thought leaders, deep thinkers, noted authors, and healing practitioners of a wide variety of trauma healing approaches, from ancient wisdom practices to cutting-edge scientific modalities. The third, we will expand our Dear Louise series for our spinal cord injury community, as well as for everyone who wants to be educated and inspired. As I interview spinal cord injured heroes and their extraordinary lives, their courageous caregivers, as well as those rare medical and mental health experts who have dedicated their careers to understanding spinal cord injury all of whom will give us a real inside view, practical tips, as well as the most current spinal cord injury research and modalities. Oh yes, Season 4 has it all. Deep stories and deep conversations of hope and triumph, trauma healing wisdom, and a look behind the scenes in spinal cord injury. All in one place, here at Blink of an Eye. Welcome. To season four. Stay tuned until the end of this opening episode of The Origin Story for exciting announcements about the next episode that you don't want to miss. So get comfortable, take a deep breath, and welcome back. And welcome with open arms any thoughts or emotions that arise in you today. As we look back together on our journey thus far,
2: here we go. Welcome to
1: Season 4, Episode 1, What Happens Now, a recap of Season 3. Friends update. Day 30. I can't believe it has been a month. I cannot explain the feeling of hopefulness I have. We are in a new beginning here at the Shepherd Center. I will call today Day 1. September 4th, Day 31. Day two at Shepherd. Yesterday, as they briskly and carefully unloaded Archer, tightly secured like a papoose on a folding gurney from the ambulance van and four different paramedics hurrying to secure the different monitors attached to the lines and hoses attached to Archer's body, we entered the Shepherd Center. We had come sight unseen. I felt like something was happening that I would never forget. It was neither excitement nor anticipation. It was more a reminder to take in every aspect, every molecule, of this moment. As I got out of the front seat of the ambulance and looked around, the entrance was, well, an institutional entrance. No Shangri-La, no Oz, no pearly gates. On the area around the entrance were a number of older folks In wheelchairs. In fact, a quick glance around and everyone I saw was in a wheelchair. I had a quick flash to the days I would mediate at the VA hospital in Baltimore. No one was moving.
2: Everyone was in a wheelchair. Apparently waiting for a pickup. It was a harsh sight for me. I wanted to get away from it. It scared me. I was aware of a
1: secondary twinge of shame. Shame, I felt, at the feeling of experiencing it as harsh and wanting to get away. I welcomed the quiet. Of this Labor Day weekend I looked around at the hospital room in Atlanta. This new strange place was as disorienting as it was welcoming. It's strange to me how such opposite experience can exist side by side. Do you know what I mean? I mean it's not that they cancel each other out either as I felt the relief in my mind and the comfort of that relief but i also noticed how my body was still on hyper alert i think it fair to say that archer and
2: i were both feeling lonely away from home although neither of us spoke of it to the other well you know what i mean the quiet was actually restful, but it also seemed to
1: amplify the loneliness. (sighs) There it is again. These extreme feelings that are so opposite,
2: but coexisting all at once. I closed my eyes and thought about home.
1: The feeling of home. I remember it so clearly. Maybe you can do the same right now. Feel the ease, a favorite room or spot in your home, or a tradition, just a feeling of home. I think if we have that feeling of home, that we can carry that feeling with us wherever we are and if we're lucky
2: enough, in our bodies.
1: And we can access it again and again when we need it. I closed my eyes to try to locate that feeling, the same feeling I so wanted Archer to feel too, because I knew it was restorative. And I had an idea I had to figure out a way to bring the children and Billy to Atlanta. Regularly. And Archer's friends. Yes, I thought bringing Archer's friends to us might recreate the feeling of home and the familiarity of what we would have had had we been at home. There is just something comforting about home, you know? And home
2: felt far away
1: all of a sudden. Then there was an afternoon of food. Food, glorious food, hot sausage and mustard. Well, not exactly that, but I sang that to Archer because he had food for the first time in 37 days. It was awesome. And while it was a small taste of a few things and nothing more than that, the sweet savories and the other milestone that also happened is this, he passed his swallow test He passed his swallow test. This is big. This is important. Those two to five sips of water, no more than once every hour or so from a straw which he had been practicing and has been so focused and determined to get right by reducing the many swallows of one sip of water down to just one swallow. Truly strengthened his swallowing ability. So much so that the speech therapist came in and said, Are you hungry? I about fell over. It was totally unexpected. So things happened fast. Maybe we pause and celebrate the miracle of the human body and the miracle of the prayer warriors all praying in concert for this very moment she said to archer archer what's your favorite food i honestly thought it was a question intended to be hyperbolic but she was totally serious anything she said and then she said again Anything. I will get you anything today and over the next couple of days. It was such a beautiful moment.
2: Archer really brightened, but here she offered anything. He
1: paused, really
2: smiled,
1: and he paused again and thought. And then said, well, you know, he mouthed, French toast. And she said, okay, I'm going to get you some French toast. And I'm going to make it myself tomorrow at my house since I don't come in until the afternoons. And I can't get it today because the cafeteria is now doing lunch. But tomorrow, French toast it is. And she continued. Archer, how do you like it? With butter? Syrup? Powdered sugar? Archer mouthed Maple syrup. Do you like
2: sausage? Bacon?
1: He mouthed Bacon. How do you like your bacon? Crispy, chewy, soft? Crispy was amazing they got the breakfast menu for tomorrow down and then she said tell me other things you like I was waiting and there it was orange juice yep that is a favorite of his and it made me smile to hear him ask for it and she said Okay, how about if we go for it and I go get you an orange right now? Well, he really brightened. It was just fun. And she left and was back shortly thereafter with a tray full of food. Tortellini with the choice of marinara or cream white sauce. Archer chose marinara. Banana pudding with cookie crunches throughout whipped cream, chocolate pudding, potato chips, and an orange, which she peeled, and cranberry juice. As she peeled the orange, he chose banana pudding, and he tried each, but just a tiny piece or a tiny spoon's worth. As he mauled each tiny spoonful in his mouth, he was very careful about his swallowing. I could tell it was not easy, and I know, Archer. He will be cautious and circumspect until he know it's not going to cause harm. His smell is off, though, and his taste not so good, and she had warned him of that but the experience as a whole was glorious, glorious food that he could swallow and taste. She squeezed the orange in a cup, and with a new straw, I saw a delight come over Archer as he slowly savored the sweet orange juice. They have his feeding tube, to 2,400 calories now, amazing considering we started at 240 calories a day when he was first injured. It's been about 1,500 for a couple of weeks now, so now some real food will begin. As he took a very small bite of each, she offered more, but he mouthed nothing and smiled. He didn't want any more. Bon appetit, my son. Day 7. Family and friends update. All of yesterday was so huge. It's probably worth sharing with you that prior to yesterday, Archer had smiled very little. Only just here and there when asked by a staff member, and a couple of times when Dad and I were here. My not seeing him smile spontaneously was concerning me, because we all know Archer. But I also know the excruciating pain he is now reporting, which is why they are looking at the whole C-spine and his head in different CAT scans. When asked to describe his pain up until yesterday, the only thing he had ever offered by way of explanation is that it is a constant seven to eight on a scale of one to ten. All over. He would then reference his shoulders in the back of his neck, down his back and wince. But Tuesday, he was able to tell us more. As the OT worked on his back, he closed his eyes to find the words. It's so hard when he's not able to speak, but he can mouth and we both drew closer. And he said, searing hot, like a dagger in my back and under my shoulder blades. There was a moment of silence at hearing those words. There she was working with him hard and used to seeing results. She said, I have no desire to cause you pain like this. We told him no one wants him in pain or in more pain. And I told him, if it's true, Arch, that you're really a seven to eight most of the day, we will really need to look into a variety of other things as he doesn't want to be on narcotics like morphine for very long. So we had some information to work with. The OT and I talked about acupressure and she did some on Archer's neck and shoulders, finding the trigger points. And as tender as it was, his pain rating of eight went to four. It then went back to six to seven, he said. But the four experience was huge. I said, Arch, that is huge. It was huge because it opened Archer's eyes and experience to see how the body can respond to touch and how certain movement and pressure can bring relief well my and probably his concern too about future dependency on painkillers aside more importantly for him i think his experience with the acupressure instilled hope hope That there are non-pharmaceutical methods and alternative methods that work, that feel good, and that do not alter his alertness, and that can give a reprieve to his pain. And hope that he will not be in pain forever.
2: Just plain old hope.
1: So Archer's increasing reports of pain and requests for more pain meds now have a new reprieve. Albeit not long-lived, as his pain
2: returns shortly thereafter, but that's okay.
1: I am aware, I am becoming more aware of approaches that might not exist in hospitals even though they work, even if not for long, I'm wondering why they're not used in hospitals. Maybe because hospital staff doesn't know about them or doesn't have time for repeated short lived approaches. I don't know, because that doesn't make sense to me about health and well being. But I am wondering what we can do differently for Archer's pain. I know it's real. I also have a hunch that some of the physical pain might be connected to emotional pain. I don't know though. It doesn't matter the origin to me. I wonder how much of both could be alleviated by different approaches that are not related to narcotics or any kind of pain medication or a combination of fewer narcotics and other things. I realize I'm wondering about many things. Oh, I've got to tell you a funny thing in the midst of this. At one moment on Tuesday, when it seemed like Archer was not in as much pain, I checked in with him. For those of you who know Archer, he can be stoic about pain, both emotional and physical, and can be very serene and rather cerebral about such things, almost as if in contemplation. And it's this serious demeanor that I've seen most of the last few days without any punctuation of the witty and clever and funny side of Archer that we are used to seeing and thought surely
2: might begin to emerge now that we are here
1: at Shepherd. We had a glimpse of it on day three here when Billy arrived with a couple large boxes from the prior hospital stay, stuff for Archer's hospital room. As Billy walked into the room, unloading,
2: Archer mouthed, Ben Shopping, what ya get?
1: We both tried to figure out what the heck Archer was saying. We knew it was funny, though, because of the expression on Archer's face. He must have said that line five times before we got it. Ben Shopping What'd you get? <laughs> Been shopping? What'd you get? Well, Billy got it first and then didn't miss a beat with him and fell right into the old Monty Python skit he and Archer have said dozens of times to each other over the years. A piston engine. How'd you cook it? Archer mouthed. And Billy said, You don't cook it, you boil it. And we all cracked up. It was a wonderful moment. Little glimmers of our lion-hearted boy with a wonderful sense of humor. It was sweet. But it had subsequently been about three days of no sleep and a lot of pain. And while we know Archer has benefited so much from the soothing, healing sanctuary created in both of the hospital rooms with the orchids and bamboo plants, lavender and peppermint oils, and the soothing Spiritual Waterfalls, Pandora soundtrack, and the deuter music, Billy found. Archer has been very serene these last few days on the whole. He asked for the soft music, told me he prefers it, At least for now. In our last episode, Archer finally went into surgery for his sinuses, but it didn't go off without a hitch as I sat in the waiting area with my friend Didi Provosti Jasmine, the two of us intensely praying the rosary, as the surgeons performed a delicate procedure to clean out Archer's sinus cavity. Now, I've prayed the rosary as a child, and I had come back to praying the rosary as an adult, in large part because of the influence of the Order of Malta, a lay group of Catholics devoted to assisting the sick and dying, and their devotion to Mary, the Mother of God, and to organizing annual pilgrimage trips to Lourdes, France, a place of healing that I wish every person on earth could go to. The truth is though, that I had never pulled out a rosary unless I was with a bunch of Catholics in a Catholic place or in private. And I had never prayed so hard for anything in my life. Yet there we were in Piedmont Hospital, in a very secular and public space, praying intensely out loud the rosary for Archer. As I look back, I realize my life was changing in many ways. September 21st, 2015, family and friends update, day 48. My dear family and friends, I do not know where the time goes. You must be hungry for some news about our lion hearted boy. The rehab days are full. Archer has made incredible progress. We also still toggle between two steps forward and one step back and one step forward and two steps back. Hmm. But we do have such good news to share of the last seven days Our good news began when Archer was moved out of ICU to the adolescent rehab wing of the fourth floor, one of the reasons we came to Shepherd. A mere 50 yards at best across the hall from the Shepherd ICU, but into a different world where the focus is rehab. It's been a brave new world for sure. The staff is oriented on the tough work of rehab, and there are accomplishments I can now list that Billy and I wondered and hoped would be so after a full week. So let's celebrate that Archer is no longer on morphine or any narcotics for pain relief. That's a big deal. He's not yet pain-free. But his pain has subsided, and no hard drugs. Let's all pause for the pain-free ways we can move and the ability to have daily joy without resorting to substances. It's a big deal, really. Our bodies don't want to be in pain. It's such a good thing when we feel better and when we feel better, not because of substances. Oh, yes. Okay. So Archer still reports daily pain of five on a scale of one to 10. And yes, that does make him very stoic as he battles that intensity. But it appears he is as committed as we are to pain-reducing alternatives. Okay, here's what happened. Last week, the medical meeting which his team had with Billy was grueling at one point when Archer's lead doctor applied acute pressure to trigger points in his shoulders, which caused excruciating pain. She really gouged him, Billy said. Poor Billy had to witness that and said it was unbearable. But... It has helped in combination with massage, acupressure, neural stimulation, and ibuprofen so that he doesn't ask for morphine and the other drugs. So to go from a regular 7 to 8 to a regular 5 on the pain scale is moving in a good direction for sure. Next, Archer was not only in a mobile wheelchair, he was driving it with a huff and puff wand in his mouth that he figured out in three days how to do. Forward, backward, stop, turn, etc. His leaning to the precise has helped him immeasurably in mastering, mastering that mobile wheelchair last week and not bumping into everything in his path. He drives that electric motorized wheelchair very seriously from his room to the gym, around the corner, and back. It takes a lot of concentration. He literally is driving it using his breath, which he puffs into a tube, but it's labored because he's on the ventilator. But it causes the electric chair to move. You know... I realize as I write that I still refer to Archer's mobile wheelchair as Archer's electric chair. Yuck. I don't want to call it that. I mean, it is electric and all, but I think mobile might be the right term. I'm not sure. I need to ask. Surely they don't say electric chair. Around here, they just say chair. And third Archer was dressed, dressed for the first time in 43 days last week. Yes, be gone hospital gown, hello sweatpants or lax shorts and a short sleeve button down shirt and t-shirt. Although regular t-shirts will have to wait as we tried and it was just too painful to get over his tracheotomy. They had sent me a list before we left Atlanticare of what to bring. It was actually a very short list. Billy had selected some of Archer's clothes back in his room at the beach and brought them to the hospital and then had gone to the store for V-neck T-shirts, which we didn't own. Today, Archer chose a V-neck T-shirt from Target, lovingly washed multiple times, by a dear Atlanta mom to make them soft. Thank you to all the moms who are with us on this journey, helping me at every turn in thought, word, and deed, in Baltimore, Atlanta, and other states. I love you all so much. Archer looked downright good. You know, let's seriously thank God for our washers and dryers and all the countless loads of laundry we have done over our mom years. Okay, dads too who have done the laundry. And how good it is to be in soft, clean clothes. It is so, so good to be in clean clothes, simple as they may be. Thank you, God, for that blessing Archer and I were still settling into our new shepherd rehab environment which came with seemingly endless streams of daily ups and downs I thought that was just part of this recovery and I assumed it was normal since that was all we had known what I did not know is that it was not the shepherd center's normal perhaps the transformation of Archer's hospital rehab room into another healing sanctuary was not their normal either but it was for us moving from the intensive care unit to the rehab floor meant new doctors treatments and routines i had received text messages from friends who had done some research and told me to ask for dr don leslie as archer's rehab doctor i had asked but the doctor we were assigned to for the rehab was a different doctor. She was the one who was engrossed in a frivolous conversation with the other medical staff about how boring jury duty was while Archer was fighting with every ounce of his being to breathe. I had asked if we could change doctors, but was told we could not. I knew from Billy that she had already hurt Archer badly when she reached over to apply pressure to his neck and shoulder, so much so and unceasingly, even when he screamed to stop. It was a silent scream, since he had no voice. And Billy told me she had not. But maybe it was to realign him, or maybe it was intended to help. I don't know, but she provided no explanation and left Archer with heavy tears rolling down his face. That encounter also triggered another round of deep lung suctioning as she exited the room. It felt confusing again and I felt helpless not knowing what the norm should be. No one was there to tell me. But we had our healing sanctuary with its familiar photos and posters, crucifix, orchids, and essential oils. We had also hung three huge three-foot-by-six-foot or even eight-foot, one of them, plastic banners that had arrived in a heavy tube, each one carrying a single word in large green block letters, faith, hope, and strength. A kind and industrious person back in Baltimore had sent them to us from the healing mass at the Cathedral of Mary, Our Queen, the week before. It was truly amazing what people in our community thought of to do, to remind us we were not alone alone. I don't know if that was their intention specifically, but it certainly was the impact. And we felt very connected and held. Or at least I did. Each banner also carried many signatures, like one large petition. I loved that. And I found Archer staring at them often. I suspect he felt supported too. I was realizing what Didi Dee Jasmine had said to me, that if I was to take care of Archer, I needed people to take care of me. It's a sobering and humble truth. I was angry with Atlantic Care for not providing records. I realized as mishaps and codes happened in the middle of the night at Shepherd that I had most of what they needed in my medical journals, notes, and the photos on my phone. But there was so much I didn't have or even know how to have written down or to take a photo of. I just didn't know. And I was angry that I didn't know what I didn't know. But I did have that photo of Archer's pacemaker I took before they inserted it, and I had the serial number of it. I did have a hunch that it would be a good idea to have it. It was the key to helping us help Archer as it identified the company, and I also used the information to identify Archer when I texted Dr. Elnahal. But you know what else? As I thought about that cardiac surgeon back in Atlantic Care, I also remembered our conversations, a number of them, and how he was one of the only ICU doctors who inquired of me. He took the time to ask me questions about Archer, about how his injury happened, about the running and the dive and the sandbar, and the seawater, and the drowning. And he asked about Archer. And I thought about the incredible difference that made in how Archer was treated by him, or how I felt Archer was medically treated by this doctor. I felt a connection to him because he created a connection with us. And you know what else I felt? I felt angry that our Shepherd Center rehab doctor hadn't asked. She didn't know how Archer was injured. She didn't know what all Archer had already been through. She didn't know about the bacteria from the seawater. And what that meant to his lungs and the degree of his injured spinal cord, which was severed so he didn't have the physical capacity to move a diaphragm, to then move the lungs, to then help him breathe, to live, so he could then do her rehab? She didn't know or understand why he was still fighting for his life. I think she saw him as weak. A C4 quad not trying hard enough. I was angry with her for not asking or taking any interest in what had happened. If she had, she would know. It would explain things. And the rehabilitation could be to help Archer breathe. And if she knew, she'd have compassion It would create a connection between Archer and her, between us. If she would ask, I would know she cared. And when she learned, she would care. Why don't doctors take interest and ask? I would tell her. But now, she wasn't even coming to Archer's room anymore. All of this was dawning on me hard. And I felt very constrained. I couldn't even write my family and friends about it because I didn't want to jeopardize Archer's treatment in any way. It's unreal what Archer had been through. I mean, maybe this was what every spinal cord injured person goes through. I didn't know. Maybe she didn't need to ask because this awful journey is standard, de rigueur. And it's all the same to her. I didn't know. But what I did feel is that she didn't care. And she wasn't responding. And what I did know is that if she did care, or if we felt she cared, we'd have a connection. We could have it now. And that connection, that would be powerful rehab. I am a mother of five, not just one. The other kids have stuff going on, too. I wish Billy were here. Like the old days, when we would lie in bed at night and go through the mental Rolodex of our children, comparing notes, trying to stay abreast of our family and on the same page as parents. Paula? Good. Petey? I think okay. How about you? Yep. Dewey? Mm, well... I'm worried about his feeling picked on. Really? Why? And we'd talk. Archer? Good. Dutch? Hmm, gonna be a tough decision to choose one spring sport over another. That's how it went. In the old days, it was always at least one of the five who had something going on, and it was always shifting. Between kids. But as I lay here in the fold out chair, going down the list of children in my mind, I miss those days. And it seems each one of the children now has something very significant going on. All of them amidst the backdrop of all this craziness. And I am here in Atlanta. And it feels far away. And then there's Archer. I look at him, lying there, and I hear his faint breathing and the sounds of the machines. And I feel tears rolling down my cheeks again because really nothing is ever going to be the same if we don't get him breathing. While the other kids and I are checking in with each other regularly on our family group text, Paula told me she's keeping the boys apprised about Archer since she's the only one who reads the family and friends updates before she posts them for me. It's such a help to me. I also wonder about the toll all of this might be taking on her. She confessed she couldn't read many of them and that the boys said it was too hard as well. They all just want to know if Archer's getting better. What do I tell them? Come to the Shepherd. October 3rd, 2015, day 60, Saturday. 30 days in Atlantic City Trauma, ICU. 12 days in Shepherd Acute Care, ICU. 19 days in Shepherd Rehab. Where has the time gone? I know it's been a week plus since I've given you a status report. The main update, the deep suctions continue. But Archer had an outing. The medical plan may change. First, the outing. On Friday, Archer and two other paraplegics went to the movies with four shepherd staff. It took them five hours, but they did it. Archer came back feeling good. Thank you, Shepard, for fun Fridays, just for the adolescents and their adolescent friends if they visit. It was Archer's first time, but Archer may now go every Friday. No adults allowed. (laughs) All good. The respiratory thing is kind of getting us all down, though, I'd say certainly wearing us out. Even staff seem wearied. Imagine the effort for Archer. The severity of his injury is so real, and as time elapses, even with all the amazing progress, we seem to be stagnating regarding his respiratory. The part of the past week and this weekend that is the most sobering and that probably holds Archer's rehab progress back is the ongoing scourge of mucus. The daily and nightly suctions, with their stubborn mucus plugs refuse to abate. Even as I returned Thursday, Billy and my brother William, who had come to help Billy, both reported a difficult few days. All of our spirits feel a bit low about the ventilator weaning progress. Our goals certainly are tempered. I suspect our game plan here will be altered. It's 5.27 a.m. now as I write you. We've just finished Deep Suctioning Archer for 43 minutes. The difference now is that it takes three of us, no matter what. Neither an option nor a luxury, because Archer's left arm has gotten quite strong. Isn't that wonderful? But also now more spasmodic, especially during the deep suctions, and he doesn't like that at all he has indicated to me sternly with his eyes that I am to hold down the spasmodic arm that flies up with the suctionings. So my job of holding his arm down from the involuntary contractions set off by his writhing and straining to cough up the gunk during the suctioning process actually requires both of my hands now, as I need to lean on his arm, to hold it down due to its growing
2: strength. It's amazing to me the change in that left arm. Well, that change to me in a mere two weeks is really quite extraordinary. But that strength also brings a
1: wilder and more dangerous situation for Archer during suctionings. During the sessions, the person standing on the left side of his bed who is either hand-squeezing with two hands the large manual oxygen bag or snaking with both hands the long vacuum tube down Archer's trach into his lungs. And that person is in danger of being involuntarily struck. Indeed, someone could likely get hit hard now. An Archer He's adamant that I or someone strong hold that left arm down. So Archer's initial request during suction sessions that I simply hold his left hand in place has now morphed to a straight jacket grip out of necessity. And there's another new interesting development that Archer doesn't like at all as well. The twitching of his left arm, which can be rather dramatic, moving as it might on its own, even during times of rest. Well, The first time I saw him agitated about this upon my arrival back, I smiled and reminded him, "'My love, it's actually good because your body is raring to go and just waiting to do what it wants to do, Archer, naturally.'" And it will. But the fact that he does not like it now brings with it more need for us to be both aware and present to help put his arm back in place when it gets spastic and falls off
2: his bed or his chair.
1: Upon a little further inquiry with Arch about it, though, I realized it's more than that. He's frustrated
2: and embarrassed. (laughs) That breaks my heart.
1: With all the other stuff he has to work on, work towards, and deal with, he's now experiencing embarrassment? He said he didn't like what he called the chicken wing. As he mouthed that? I had a flash of this boy when I was in grade school being mean and cruel, as he taunted some other kid making fun of him as a spaz, making his own arm bend at the elbow with the wrist drooping. Why are some kids so mean?
2: Maybe because their moms didn't stop them in the act of winding up to be mean. I don't know.
1: But I knew what Archer meant. Whether people doing or saying things to be funny also have an intention to be mean or not, the effect can still
2: be very hurtful. (laughs) After all, the devil is a funny guy, a clever guy. So if you happen upon
1: someone who is spinal cord injured, a C3 to C5, please know there is a tendency for the arm to want to bend at the elbow with the wrist drooping down. True, it's not a pretty sight.
2: But I was so grateful, Archer could tell me where he felt vulnerable. And
1: while the creative miracle is happening, if you happen to be with Archer when his arm spasms or chicken wings, I believe he would be grateful for your kindness in straightening it out for him. But you can ask him. been reflecting on the truly unforeseeable situation we are in, 30 days in the Atlantic Care ICU, and now 31 days into our time at the Shepherd Center, with only 12 of those days being out of their ICU intensive care unit. We were supposed to have been off the ventilator in three days We were supposed to be stars at this rehab center for adolescent athletes, but we seem to be at a crossroads. I don't know how it has come to this, Lord. Please hold us. Our care team presented Archer potential paths forward that as I felt it depended on what he chose, could have consequences, even negative consequences for how long he would be able to stay at Shepherd. I couldn't tell exactly, as I feel so uninformed and as if we're in the dark. But I feel it. I feel that we are being given a choice that might have negative consequences for how far Archer progresses in rehabilitation here. I'm under the impression that we would have four to six weeks. But I heard it said, even two or three months here at Shepherd, If Archer progresses.
2: And then we would go home, rehabilitated. Archer would go back to school this fall. Or at the latest,
1: the end of this semester. This time is the time. We have to maximize it we're lucky to be here
2: shepherd is the place to be
1: archer sempt is going to walk again and this is the place to get him walking again here at shepherd
2: we can't blow it we can't waste it
1: we have to make sure we do nothing that would jeopardize Archer staying at the Shepherd Center for as long as he possibly can to make our dream
2: and their promise a reality. But the
1: choices they just gave Archer were just not to be believed. They were asking him to choose, to choose between breathing and rehab. They said he had a finite amount of energy and he had to choose how to spend it on breathing independently of the ventilator or continuing with physical therapy to gain some arm mobility. can't understand this choice. According to his counselor, Archer cannot tackle both. He has to make priorities. What are the other? How can this be? He can do both! It's untenable to make him choose one or the other. My God, how cruel to ask him this. He's also just a boy. How short-sighted all seems to me. How unimaginative, how uncreative. Ask a person if they want to breathe or not can't make a person choose if they want to breathe or not. Of course he wants to breathe. It just takes time. He's a fighter. He can work on breathing and do rehab. Why can't they see that? We're here for him to walk. And he's just a boy. He has a Full life ahead of him. Don't make him choose. I don't understand why the rehab cannot be for the strengthening of his lungs. I talked with the pulmonologist. He told me Archer needs a diaphragmatic pacemaker to move his intercostal muscles around his rib cage. that would then move his lungs because of the very little innervation Archer has left from his severed spinal cord. But he can't do a diaphragmatic pacemaker. He said because of the heart pacemaker They already put in. Yet Shepard says, should have never been put in. But how are we to know? And they say they can't help Archer if he can't breathe on his own because it takes them too much time. But he can, with help on a workaround for his muscles. I begged them. Personal journal note. I know how badly Archer wants to get back to school. I'm working feverishly to find a tutor for him here in AP Calculus. I asked Shepard, If we could use the time Archer is not in the rehab gym for schoolwork. We were attracted to Shepard because they said getting kids back to school was a top priority. But really, Shepard has schoolwork as a low priority when you are in rehab. And I get it. But I thought it could be a high priority now, which is what we have wanted all along, since they don't have Archer scheduled for anything. There's a nice lady here who has a background as an English teacher, and she created a little syllabus. But it's really just watching movies and answering some questions verbally, mouthing them to her. Not exactly school. I guess that's all she thinks Archer can do. She said as much. I offered to read to him and get him CDs of book classics. She smiled and said it will be enough for him to watch the movies. I confess, I'm still grateful that Archer will just have a piece of paper that says he had class, so he doesn't fall behind. Even though I don't like that truth, because I think he's getting ripped off of an important time in his life to be learning. I imagine it's what many parents in Baltimore City's public schools fall into the trap of, too. Just push your child through to the next year. It's pretty bad, really. Archer and I talked about watching stuff on TV or getting educational movies about the world and geography to learn in that way while we're here. But it is true and a bit nutty because there's so little time to actually watch even these movies. Archer works so hard on breathing and the suctionings interrupt everything and the machines pumping air into him all day long require monitoring and tube changes. And it's always so much worse at night And Archer's exhausted. Well, the pulmonologist brought in some device he asked Archer to puff into that measures the strength of his output breath.
2: He has a long way to go, but we'll get there.
1: October 13th, We Ours, family and friends update. Just the prospect that we were looking for teachers was energizing for Archer. While he's generally not the bouncy type as you know, he is energized as I see the light in his eyes, and he talks spontaneously. Yes, it's also a little tricky to give Archer schooling here since all of his classes are AP, including his drawing course. But where there's a will, there's a way. After all, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And we are tough, at least I pray we are. When we first received the schedule of all the various therapies every day, schooling was not on the schedule. And I must confess, I pressed to get school on the schedule as soon as we got over to the rehab side. The school coordinator seemed pleased we were interested, she herself being a former English teacher, and she taught an AP course in her past. Well, I recruited her quickly as a teacher for Archer in AP English, and she was excited. But it was clearly up to us to create a schooling opportunity. I got the message loud and clear. But Archer's message to me, loud and clear, was that he wants to graduate with his class. We will make that happen. Even if we lose the better part of a school year, or take a gap semester, or have to cobble together the year with work over the holidays and summer, we will do it. So we obtained the curricula from his courses at McDonough, and I've been hunting down local teachers. Do you believe the most extraordinary thing happened? (laughs) Of course you would, because we're believers. Well, the former director, of the math department at Emory University, has volunteered to teach Archer AP Calculus. And the headmaster of Pace High School here in Atlanta, who also teaches AP American government, has offered to Archer to attend his class. And short of that, that he would videotape his lecture classes for Arch. It's incredible. People are so kind. I'm not sure what we're going to do about AP biology in Spanish. Still working on that. So a few weeks into it, Archer loves his schooling, especially calculus. Okay, it looks like this. Archer sips and puffs his way down the hall in his power chair to the teaching room. It's an empty white room with a large whiteboard. He has a portable ventilator machine hooked to the back of his chair. A respiratory therapist or I follow with the lung suction machine on a rolling table in case he can't breathe because of a mucus plug. Archer parks his chair in the middle of the room in front of the whiteboard. The professor stands in front of the whiteboard with the dry erase marker in hand, putting up all kinds of formulae on it. And he and Archer go back and forth about problems and so on. Archer can't talk, but he blinks his eyes and nods. The professor leans in a bit as if to listen to the blinks and keeps on going as if there's nothing unusual. You could hear a pin drop as his squeaky marker writes more numbers and equations on the board. And he pauses to see if Archer is following. And Archer nods. It's an amazing sight to behold. Archer weight shifts, and the professor keeps on teaching. October 13th, Family and Friends Update continued. The preparations for the new space creations are underway. I flew home Saturday morning for moving day. Billy arranged for Archer's coach, Andy Hillgartner, to have the McDonough Varsity Lacks team help us. As an aside, we were told his soccer coach has Archer's name and number on the roster for the season. Not his old position as a tag, but isn't that awesome? And so very, very kind. Archer loved that, if it's true. As I walked in our front door from the airport, Billy was telling me it was going to be good and to brace myself for chaos for what he had been working on at home last week. Yes, it was a wreck. Like a true moving day in progress that I had no input into with boxes and the rugs overturned and a lot of things staged in groups. I thought that was what I was coming home to do, to help us pack the boxes. But at 11 a.m., about 10 strong, healthy, beautiful, strapping young men arrived. Archer's army were in full force. I just wept at the sight of all of them. Archer would be one of those boys. They've grown again over the summer. Big boys now. They now look like young men. I loved each and every one of those boys in that moment. Full of promise. Ready to help. And so healthy. So able. It was really lovely to see them. And I was also deeply moved by their vitality and numbers as they stood in our front hall at the ready. Thank you, boys. Thank you, Archer's Army. Family and Friends Update October twenty fifth, 2015 Day 84 Tuesday I just want the best care for our son. It's been a very difficult two weeks since I last talked with you. Suffice it to say, no matter how hard Archer may try, his body needs more time. The standard number of weeks of rehab at Shepherd have come and gone, and his body is not showing any new impulses to work with, nor his breathing showing enough improvement to elongate his stay. Just another bump. That's all it is, I tell myself. Just another bump, and it'll be all right. But it's painful to think of discharge. But discharge, it will be. We are way beyond their normal four to six weeks. We're lucky enough to get this length of time given his condition. Well, that said, he could have, would have, or should have been able to stay longer. Oh, wait, stop. There I go again. Don't do it, Louise. Those could have, would have, should haves will eat me alive. I've got to move on. We had the meeting. Indeed, we've had a few meetings, many meetings. I've advocated and cajoled, and Archer has requested and been clear that we want more time for his body. And in our begging and borrowing and pleading, the stay has been extended twice. But Billy and I now feel it's time to go home. October 28th, Family and Friends Update, Day 87. So, we've been scrambling and trying to figure out the best plan for Arch. We think we have it by returning to Baltimore and going inpatient to Kennedy Krieger with lesser intense rehab until Archer is strong enough to enter an outpatient setting. It's an interesting no-man's-land predicament. Not sick enough for ICU, not healthy enough for continued rehab at the next level. Tired, worn out, and exoflated again. <laughs> That'd make a good country-western song, don't you think? I can hear it now. Maybe Steve Martell and musician friends at McDonough could write that song. Not funny. Well, they did write a very lovely song for Archer already. Very talented and loving. But honestly, I'm looking for the humor in this for some form of relief, even if it is a bit offbeat. Humor and comic relief, it crops up here and there. Like when one of the new techs in Archer's room was commenting on two gorgeous 8 by 10 photos of Kate May, gifted to Archer from a local photographer, Dottie Darling, member of the Beach Club, where Archer was working. Of the many sent to him, taken of Kate May, he chose a photo of the Beach Club itself and a photo of the seagulls in flight over the surf on the sand on the beach club's beach. They're on the wall in front of his bed where he can see them, along with Pete's Archer Strong graffiti, a young co-ed's Don't Give Up Archer, and a cross with Jesus. Well, we were talking with the tech and letting her know how much we loved Kate May. And as I was promising Archer that we'd get back to Kate May. I turned to the tech and said, Archer loves the beach and the ocean. Well, Archer's mouth curled to the side. As you know, he does sometimes when he talks from the days when he had no hearing. And he said, as he kind of bowed his head in a sort of submission-like way. With eyes getting big as he raised his eyebrows and he said, I might love her,
2: but she didn't love me back. There it is again. These moments, they stab.
1: November 2nd, 2015, day 91. Family and friends update. Archer knows. Archer has been saying upon an exhalation that his right arm hurt, then of late that his chest hurt. There's been a germ of thought by his lead doctor that he may not be trying hard enough. <laughs> More on that later. I knew differently. And so did Archer's body. He said it again on Friday. One attentive nurse paid attention. God bless her. She reported it in his record and said something to another physician. So an EKG was performed. His heart was fine. That's actually good to know. His chest still hurt. So they next ordered an X-ray of the chest. Hmm. It appeared there was a change from the last X-ray taken in ICU. They next ordered a CAT scan, which required Archer to be taken to the adjoining hospital, Piedmont Medical, where he spent the day on Friday. Good thing Archer's army had not come early for Fun Friday, as they usually did, since Fun Friday at the Shepherd Haunted House was not meant to be for Archer. Well, as an aside, we were fine with that. The T's had cast Archer as the ghoul who hangs in a corner at whom hatchets are thrown at his chest. Really, I'm not kidding. That is what they cast Archer to do in the shepherd-haunted house. A herd from one of the T's who thought it was perfect for Archer, since he could make some pretty good faces when in pain. Really? I said. Archer, sheepishly, said to me. He really didn't want them to paint his chest. Paint your chest? I was horrified when I learned of it. Really? My lord, His chest is already disturbing to look at, now stitched with a number of two to four-inch scars on his left shoulder, many down the right sides of his chest, with pierces in different places as well, like Jesus. After all, he did undergo nine surgeries in 38 days. And throwing objects at a body that has no way to put up a hand or an arm to stop something, let alone a voice to cry, no, or stop, being cast as a dartboard for fun? Archer told me they had actors coming to do the body paint and they planned to paint his chest to look scary and bloody. And all he was supposed to do was make facial grimaces as the fake axes were thrown. Really? Honestly, Archer and I talked. and thought that was not funny at all. In fact, I found it rather macabre. Now that I think about all those surgeries and general anesthesia, I wonder if indeed some of it is still trapped in Archer's body, which has no way to move in ways we would be able to move to work it out. Perhaps trapped under his right shoulder blade, where general anesthesia can often lodge after surgery? Just a thought. Anyway... Archer missed the whole Halloween thing here at Shepherd. That's quite a big deal, which they spend a few weeks preparing for, turning the gym into a haunted house. And while he did not want to be in the hospital, his missing the ghoulishness of disabled paraplegics and quadriplegics, acting scary, or being scared by other twisted characters, was not exactly up our alley. I know. Call me a party pooper. I probably am about Halloween. The dark side of it, that is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Halloween for all the dress-up and fun and creative costumes that make you laugh and smile. And Halloween parades and neighborhood trick-or-treating and candy apples and pumpkin carvings. But how and when did all the ghoul and darkness... Creep in the way it has. Okay, Arch has two air tubes, which are each about the size of a quarter in diameter and about six or seven feet in length, that fit into a piece of plastic that forms a V, which is attached to his trach opening in his neck, which is secured in place by a collar. That is velcroed around his neck. Well, the tube in the V and thus those two tubes just popped off in the middle of the night. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's true. The darn thing just popped off, leaving Archer with no oxygen from the vent. But I had no idea at first as I heard him click and rushed to him in the dark, acting quickly as the alarms on the ventilator monitor and machines began to go off. And I was looking in the dark for the oxygen button on the monitor to push it to give Archer what I thought he needed. And Archer had this crazy panicky look on his face as his eyes were bigger than saucers and he mouthed something over and over, but I couldn't make it out in the dark. So I was racing for my phone to get a flashlight to be able to read his lips. And as I frantically scanned him, I then realized... There were no tubes through which the hit of oxygen could even flow. The entire attachment was off of Archer and lying on the side of his bed. I mean, do you know the expression? If it had been a snake, it would have bit you? Well, that's what it was like. I couldn't have imagined. The entire tubing that gives him all the air he needs to breathe to live was not attached. How? In the world, did that happen? But this time, a team of medical staff had rushed into the room as well. We reattached it. And that was that. Archer looked at me like, come on, Ma. And he was right. I overlooked the most obvious because it was just not familiar to me in the loudness and dark of the night. And the crazy part is that when it popped off, it was so loud. The air in the vent is highly pressurized and it whooshed from the hose and tiny, teeny pellets of water from the forced air flew out like spittle all over the room. I realized that when I spied it and picked it up, loud, whooshing and spittling, that I was just so Not expecting that. These nights are always unfolding. Always something new. I suppose it was a good thing to experience. Similar to the barely bed sore that took over three weeks and 15 minute weight shifts to make go away. Good preventative things to experience now. So, When and if we are at home and this happens, well, Archer's main functional goal was to breathe off the ventilator before he came home. That little additional four words I know are very important to him. Before he came home. I don't think we're going to be on the ventilator when we come home if Archer stays on the move like this, and here's why else. It happened again the next night, which was just the night before I came back to Baltimore, about 2 a.m. I was leaving at 4.30 a.m. to shower and catch a flight home to the Mount Washington Tavern fundraiser, but this time the ventilator popping off was part of my scanning for what to look for rather than my intense focus on Archer's face, the oxygen button, the lung suction equipment, etc. But here's what is even more crazy. Absent someone not securely placing the V of the tube back into the trach opening, which is pretty tightly fitted on, it takes a pretty huge force of air to push the trach so hard that it pops off the ventilator tube. And just so that you know, there's also a lock on it per se, a plastic catch, like two little teeth on either side that keep it secure, which is why it was so very unexpected when it happened the first time. But now, a second time. It felt to me as if something within Archer was forcing it off. Like his lungs are ready. As if they're ripping off their bondage, no longer attached. Or as if they've outgrown what was needed when they were young and helpless and now they're stronger and growing up. And it's time. I honestly felt this deeply, as I marveled at how strange it was that it had happened. And as I did, my nighttime delirium of fumbling in the dark to see what was wrong was gone. And in some ways, everything was right. I was so awake and alive. Sensing this, Archer asked me for one thing after another. There was a new aliveness, an animation of the night. He needed things, and I felt I was there in a new way. He asked me to wipe his face, then get him a new warm towel, then wipe down the back of his neck, then remove his headband that was so wet I could honestly wring it out, then straighten out his left arm, then put it very close to his side. Then place his right arm to rest across his abdomen. Then remove the thin blanket from his body. Then adjust his pillow to pull it down to his shoulders. Then lift his bed a fraction. Then push his hair off his forehead. Then tuck his long drenched hair behind his ears then check that the ventilator was secured well on the trach. One after the other, each with an end, a move towards my only warm place, chair bed, my asking, you okay? Anything else? And yes, something else again and again. He was really cleaning out fully. It was intentional and also almost comical. On what seemed like completion, I said, you good? And he said, cheek therapy. (laughs) Yep, that seemed appropriate. I went to the ICU in my pajamas and brought in another warm towel, draped it over his head like he so likes when he looks like Moses in the desert. And I pressed it gently up onto the sides of his cheeks so that all that was showing were his eyes and his mouth, like a little papoose. And he was settled. I went back to crawl in between the down comforter atop the fold-out chair with the extra three blankets on top for weight and warmth. His room is still a frigid forty or something degrees. Then, a little over 90 minutes later, at 4 a.m. exactly, it happened again. Can you believe it? But this time, the force was so great that the entire inner cannula, which is the three-plus-inch piece of hard plastic curved tubing shaped like a banana that actually is inserted into Archer's neck, and into his body, and into his airways through the tracheostomy opening, blew off too. Now is that weird, or what? Seriously odd, since the inner cannula also has a little locking mechanism, one that involves two little clips on either side that are opened and closed again when it is cleaned and replaced with a new one twice a day. So the likelihood of it not being locked, it's always a possibility, I guess, but it is slim. There's a lot of air coming through, so it really needs to be locked. So did Archer blow the lock? I think so. So much for locking systems now. I don't think they could have held back what I think Archer's body is doing. Archer's body is telling us, Archer's lungs are telling us, they're saying, we are rising. I really felt that. family and friends update Wednesday, November
2: 17th, day 106.
1: Begin again. We are off on our way out of room 429 on the fourth floor of the Shepherd Center at 5 55 a.m. I had a cannoli per Archer's request in my pocket. That and our orchids placed carefully in a bag I kept in my lap that ward off any dark energy lurking in the corners of Archer's room. They do emit good oxygen. To begin again. The Metajet EMS team arrived at 5.30 a.m. We had been told 6 a.m. Last time, they were on time to the minute. When they knocked on the door and I was just putting in my contact lens after we got Archer taken care of and ready to go, I laughed and said, hey, what are you doing here so early? It's not nice, like a prom date arriving a half hour early. And we all laughed. I felt like myself in that moment. But it was no nonsense after that. I watched the team of four swiftly and carefully move Archer from his bed onto their stretcher by lifting the sides of his linens to form a sheet harness and then swiftly strapping Archer in. I was aware this time of every click of each seatbelt in the stretcher. And as we whisked out every change in temperature from his cold 62 degree room into the warm hallway of the unit, into the drier air of the elevator, to neutral air in the hallways, to the damp and balmy air of the early morning Georgia fall day, where his ambulance van awaited. Temperatures matter now for Archer, a lot, so we take notice of new things now. They briskly wheeled him down the shepherd hallways as we made our exit the same hallways I had marveled at as we made our entrance, holding as we did so much hope two and a half months ago, to the day, and then up and into the ambulance van. I said to Archer a few times, you're doing great, bud. This is familiar. There's nothing to fear. He was very courageous. This trip, he had no drugs to knock him out in any way, shape, or form. He had a new antibiotic given from what I could tell, which was preventative since he had a high white blood cell count yesterday. But it had been making him nauseous since noon yesterday when they started it in the trip bag. But as they lifted him up and into the ground ambulance, the craziest thought flashed through my mind simultaneously as my eyes welled up. I was not expecting the emotional response. I realized I was flooded with many emotions. But what flashed was a thought
2: about new beginnings and Archer's donor, his bone donor, for his neck reconstruction. Thank you, anonymous donor. Whoever you were
1: on earth and are now, I am so grateful to you for giving Archer your hip bone to replace his shattered
2: C2C5 neck bone. Thank you, that is the ultimate gift of unity, to give your body. Some of you might realize that, that Archer had a donor, is a very important part of Archer's medical history.
1: His impact was so great that his neck bone shattered into pieces. He told his rescuers he had heard a loud
2: cracking when it happened. Can you imagine? He knew upon impact also that he was paralyzed. I think I told
1: you that part already. That part still takes my breath away, though. His surgeon tried to get the fragments out of his spinal cord as best he could and believes he did. I've always wondered
2: if there wasn't some part that no one could get that shattered higher up, causing the C3 level as well as C4 level of injury. The donated bone is now fused to Archer's C4 and C6 neck bones for stability. They're healed now,
1: as if it had been a regular neck fracture, but it's a burst that caused him to need a donor. Gosh, I'm so grateful for donors.
2: Since I was 16 and got
1: my driver's license, I always checked the donor box. Well, some young person did the same. I was still standing outside to see Archer inside the narrow transport van, surrounded by a team of three medical staff squeezed into the tight space when he began to need oxygen in that suction. That mucus, it's omnipresent. Sure enough, he had more clogged in his lungs just since the 5 a.m. suction. Two lung suctions in flight, he did great. Mo, one of his medical techs said, Archer, you've got a really good gag reflex. I thought to myself, he gets that from his mother. Never imagined it could be a good thing. Here we are in flight. Surrounded by angels. Arrived at exactly 8:40 a.m. Amazing. Thank you, pilots, Eric and John. It's good to be home. We're now traveling with a loud siren through town from Middle River to KKI. We just arrived at Kennedy Krieger Institute. It's 9.27 a.m. It's 52 degrees outside. Thank you, dear Lord. Mother Mary, Father Bruno, and all of you prayer warriors. I know we were surrounded by angels, both earthly and heavenly. We are about to have a new beginning. Please pray for us. Amen. Sending love. In our next story episode of season four, we will begin at Archer's Flight Touchdown at Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. Until then, we'll be here for you every Wednesday. And next week, we'll debut our first trauma healing learning of the season, where I interview concert pianist, composer, and music therapist, Angelo Molino, who will take us into the world of music and how sound can heal. And as a recap of what you can expect with this season, season four, we're introducing a captivating alternation between narrative storytelling and profound trauma healing learnings, THLs. For all listeners, as I interview folks from a wide variety of healing backgrounds, from ancient body and mind healers, to scientists and doctors researching the most cutting-edge scientific modalities for healing pain, skin, and broken hearts, and our Dear Louise series with spinal cord injury influencers and tastemakers, as well as SCI specialized doctors and professionals. This will allow you more time to immerse yourself in the longer story episodes And deeply reflect on the transformative insights they bring as we widen our collective knowledge and experience through the THL's and Dear Louise interviews. Oh, yes, it is through shared experience and vulnerability that we grow as a community. It is my hope that by enhancing the storytelling with true to life tips, science, And healing practices through the THL Wisdom and Dear Louise interviews that we at Blink of an Eye Studios and Blink of an Eye Nonprofit can give you, our beloved listeners, the best of both worlds.
2: Welcome and welcome back. Sending love. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hope for everything
1: begin again. See you next week for the Trauma Healing Learning First of Season 4. Together we are raising the vibration for healing.
0: You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, BlinkofanEyePodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.